Yes, Lord, it's our prayer this Monday afternoon, King of Glory, that we shall be still and know, O Lord, that you are God and our King and our leader. Lord, we come before you this afternoon, my God and my Father, to bring every anxiety, every fear, every reservation, O Lord, in our lives, in our families, in our nation, Uganda. We pray, King of glory, O Lord, that we shall cast all anxieties to you because you do, you do care, O Lord, for us. So we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to continue gleaning on your word. We pray, King of glory, that wherever we are, probably at our workplaces, for us who have been able to work today, but also those that are at home, those on the way, those that are up country, Lord, we pray that... Uh, Whoever listens, Lord, to this voice, their lives, O oh Lord, do not remain the same again, even as we focus on your word, on your sovereignty and capacity to do, because, Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above. We thank you. We magnify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the living God. Uh, I'm very privileged to be in this place. I'm glad that I'm part of uh, what God is doing at the cathedral and the body of Christ at large. My name is Douglas Martin Semaganda. I want to give thanks to God who saved me from my sin as a young man in 2011 on the 20th of August. I was very rebellious to my parents. I was very uh, anxious about how my future would look like. I was full of hopelessness, but amidst all that seeking, the Lord found me and saved me. And I'm very glad that I continue to follow him through Bible study, through sharing my faith with others. And even on top of that, he called me to serve him full-time with Life Ministry Uganda. I am married to Rita Semaganda. In the year 2019, I'm glad that we walked this aisle and we made vows to each other. And the Lord has blessed us uh, with a very lovely daughter called Kwagala Elizabeth Joy. And we all serve together I and my wife at Life Ministry Uganda directly reaching students across the country with the gospel. Praise the living God. Our topic today is count yourself dead to sin. Count yourself dead to sin. And our focus will be coming from Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 6 from verse 8 to verse 11. Romans chapter 6, verse 8 to verse 11. And our focus will probably entirely uh, spread to the entire chapter, but we shall a little bit linger in these verses of 8 to 11, and later on we shall even look at other verses. And I was thinking through what our topic is, especially with a critical what they account, what does it mean? The word count, when you read it, especially the way it was transla translated in the Bible from the Greek language, the word count there is logizomai, L O 
G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And this word means to compute, it means to calculate, it means to take into account, to recon, having same force or weight towards something. It also means to suppose, it means to decide. So friends, when we say that we need to count ourselves dead to sin, we are simply saying that we need to act in a way that we've already computed ourselves, that we're already dead to sin. We have calculated this cause. We have taken into account that we're already dead to sin. We are recording daily that indeed we are dead to this sin. And sin has no force or weight on us. In other words, we are supposing, we are making a decision in everything we do that sin doesn't have any power, any authority over us, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Praise the living God. So let us read Romans chapter 6. You allow me to read it. I hope you do also have your Bible wherever you are. Romans, Romans chapter 6 from verse 1 to verse 14, and I'll read the New King James Version. The New King James Version has, uh, starts with uh, a sub-theme or a sub-topic that dare to sin but alive to God. And verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Oh, do you not know that as many of us as we are baptized into Christ Jesus, we are baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeliness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeliness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the board of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For we, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also recon or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but live to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lusts. And do not, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And verse 14 says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Let's say amen. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Praise the living God. So we see in this revealing a number of things in this context of scripture. 
when you analyze it from verse 1 to verse 14. And personally, seven things stand out. What Paul was emphasizing, he was teaching uh, the Romans, which also works for us because this is the whole counsel of God. And also remember that everything that was written was written for understanding that through comfort of Scripture, we may also have hope. So number one thing we see is that uh, sin shouldn't tell us what to do. In other words, it's no longer our managing director. It's no longer our boss. It doesn't tell us what to do. It's the Lord Jesus that should instruct us on what to do. But then the second thing Paul emphasizes in this is that we are dead to sin, and when Jesus arose, we experienced a resurrection too from our spiritual death. And we are glad that in this season, uh, we are still in the season of Easter, where we are celebrating the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. It's a reminder to me and to you that indeed we are no longer dead to sin. When we die, when the Lord Jesus died, he died with us. And by faith, when he's resurrected, we also resurrected from that death, spiritual death with him. So we are alive unto him, praise the living God. And the, th the third thing we see is that uh, our old life was actually crucified with Jesus. When he was raised at the cross, we are raised with him. When he went into the death, and the dead went with him, and when he raised, indeed we raised with him. And the fourth thing we also see is that uh, we have a daily choice, friends, to make, to walk in this victory. There is the finished work at the cross, but there is my personal decision I need to be making each day, each moment, to walk in that victory. And the fifth thing is that uh, we have been freed from the penalty of sin and we are forgiven. Therefore, sin no longer has any authority and power over us. Praise the Lord. And the second last thing I observe in the scripture, what Paul emphasizes, is that actually our bodies are still corruptible. That's why sin still attracts us. We are made from the ground. We are corruptible, you know, but our spiritual man isn't because it's linked to the Lord Jesus. That's why scripture says that when we do die, our bodies will go back to the ground where it was made from and our spirit will go back to the Lord. Our soul, our spirit will go back to the Lord where it was made from. So that's why sometimes sin, actually most times, sin is appealing to our flesh. But what we need to do is actually to crucify our members, our bodies, so that the Holy Spirit in us reigns above our feelings. But let's continue gleaning on uh, God's word. We can even read, continuing from verse 15, and I'll let you know what Paul is telling us from verse 15, going down to get it in more context. Scripture says in verse 15 that what then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, 
yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness, uncleanliness, I beg your pardon, and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Verse 22. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we see that Paul is helping us to understand uh, that we need to consider avoiding volunteering our bodies freely into slavery to sin because we are now slaves to righteousness. In other words, he urges us to fully surrender to the Lordship of Jesus so that we are able to overcome this sin. So friends, if it's a government, we change from one to another. There was a transition. We were once slaves to sin, but we are now slaves to righteousness, the righteousness of God. If it's a country, we relocated. We are no longer citizens of sin. We are now citizens of a country called righteousness. Praise the living God. So even as you continue to think through, it's a reminder to myself and also to you, is we are in what I may term as progressional or transitional salvation. It's a journey. It's not just a one-time encounter. In other words, we overcame sin when we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are still overcoming sin on a daily basis. And finally, we shall overcome sin at the second coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are justified when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Each day, we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, by the word of the Lord, by the Lord's power. And finally, we shall be glorified when we change this mortal body for a spiritual body, when we are no longer corruptible, when we are no longer under the authority and the power of sin. Praise the Lord. So I would like us to utilize the remaining few minutes to think through how do we apply this in our lives. How does Douglas, how does you, my brother, my sister, my uncle, my father, my mother, apply this truth? Because I have noticed as believers, majority of us is not that we don't know the truth. We know, but how do we apply it in our day-to-day -day life? So practical ways, there are just six of them uh, the Lord brought to my heart and mind some which I'm even practicing and I have seen victory. So practical ways of being dead to sin on a daily basis so that you are aligned 
to God's will and purpose for your life. Number one, especially if you're writing, is that we need to practice regularly the confession of our sins. Confession of our sins, friends. When you read 1 John chapter 1, 1 John, I beg your pardon, uh, chapter, uh, let me first read chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. I beg your pardon, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse, verse 5 to verse 10. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 10, it says, This is the same message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. And verse 8 says, if we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, I've noticed that to live a practical Christian life, we need to live in a daily moment of confessing our sins. In this city, in Africa, in uh, the world altogether, there is a strange doctrine running all over, the doctrine of grace, hyper-grace, that tells us that we do not sin. It's false. It's from the pit of hell. Why? Because Scripture has told us that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, when we say that we are no longer sinners, we do not sin, we are the righteousness of God and all that deception, we are simply saying that Christ did nothing at the cross. So in other words, confession is humility, to agree with God that whatever I have done that is not in line with his will and purpose for my life is wrong and I have fallen short of God's glory. In other words, you do not give excuses. We do not call sin just a weakness. All I just made a mistake. No. Sin is sin. Aboruganda, Sin is sin. So we need to agree with God. You do not go to God and say, you know, God, you see, you see, I was tempted. No, 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 no. We come to God boldly before his throne of grace and agree with him when we receive that conviction uh, from the Holy Spirit that we've fallen short of his glory. We agree. We say, yes, God, I agree with you. I have sinned in this manner. But number two, in confession, we bring that sin before the Lord in repentance. We do not take it to social media on our status. We do not tell it to just our friends. We do not tell it to ourselves and remind ourselves how we are sinners. No, we take the sin to the Lord and the Lord alone. But the third thing in confession is that we agree that Christ's price that was paid at the cross covered all 
our sin, our past sin, our present sin, what we keep doing, and whatever that we shall ever do. Friends, there is no money, there is no gold, there is no car that can be substituted, friends, for your sin. No. There is no amount of tithe that you can give that can take away your sin. Jesus died once and for all for our sin. And our deliberate sin, we keep doing, it's like poking God to keep taking him back to the cross. Yet he's not about to do that again. He died once and for all. So we just need to continue knowing, to comfort our hearts with that truth, to know that regardless of the magnitude of your sin, even if it's murder, even if it's sexual immorality, everything was covered at the cross. And then, I like this more, the fourth step is to make a deliberate effort to turn around from falling into sin. Friends, we shouldn't just confess with our lips. That's why scripture says, I think in Isaiah, that these people keep coming to me and call me Lord, God, God, but their hearts are far away from me. Friends, repent, the word repent is actually a military word. It means to turn around. When you hear a soldier say, repent, he's saying, if you've been facing this direction, you turn and look this way. And when you get another command that repent, his meaning, you make a turn around again and face where he wants you to face. So Paul is just telling us this scenario in scripture that we should make deliberate steps to turn, we turn from sin towards God. We do not turn from sin to another sin. We don't turn from one addiction to another addiction, to run away from the former. No, we run from sin towards God. From towards. From towards. Praise the living God. So we need to make that deliberate turnaround, friends, every moment of our lives. The second practical way, after we have confessed our sins, is that uh, we need to avoid the environments all places that actually trigger sin, that entice you into sin, into immolarity. Some may be physical places. You may think of bars or brothels, probably where prostitutes are, where alcoholism is. Some may be places or environments of cliques, of unruly friends. These friends keep luring you into drug abuse, into speaking perverse things, you know, into immolarity. Some may be just social media platforms, all pages you keep visiting, all Google you keep reverting, all YouTube you keep reverting to pornography and all these kinds of indulgences. Friends, we need to make deliberate efforts to live pure lives. If it's been social media, how about you take off some time? And you say, I'll uninstall these applications that are luring me into sin. Or I'll put gadgets, or I'll put applications that actually limit me from visiting them. They are like indicators. They block all 
adverts, they block all sites that are perverse. It's a decision you can make. Are they friends that are luring you into immolarity? How about you make a decision to repent, to turn around and look for other friends? Is it places you keep hanging around bars, especially probably for us men, you're already struggling with alcoholism, but you keep saying, Asen, if I'm watching Asen and Man you, I better watch them in, in a bar where there is a bigger screen. But remember, drinks are going all over, you know? Is it a birthday party you keep frequenting? Is it a street you keep frequenting and you know very well the people who stand there? Psalm 1 tells us what to do. We can even go there. Psalm 1, what does it say? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Friends, I hereby warn you that sin is transitional. You may not necessarily out of the blue just fall into what we may categorize as big sin. Not really. Scripture has told us in someone that you first walk. You first walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You just walk comfortably, you know, with them. Soon you know, you are standing. Remember you were walking, very busy, walking. And then soon, you stand. That's a comfortable place, standing. You know, you rest. You take a rest. You stand. Soon you know, you have taken a chair and you have sat with those who are scorning, who are scorning at God, who are scorning at God's word. You remember our brother Lot in scripture. When Abraham told him to look and make a decision, he took, he used his physical eyes to just look at a fertile land, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he went and settled there. He first walked you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he was seeing all this perversity. Soon we know, he stood, became comfortable. No sooner had he stood than he sat. Probably he got a plot of land. You know, he produced children. Probably he had cattle and sheep and name it. And you realize that even when the angel of the Lord dragged him from the city, the Bible says he lingered. Yeah? He lingered. He didn't want to leave. And even when he left, he didn't want to go too far. That's why he told the angel that I can't run to the other city. It's too far. Allow me go to this closer one. He was still lingering. But also his wife. He was too taken up that when the angel gave a decision that do not look back, just keep running, don't look back. When that wife looked back, you all know what happened. He became a pillar of salt. Friends, when you start walking, when you start standing, when you start sitting in 
places of the ungodly, in the path of sinners, and the seats of the scornful, soon you know, when especially you look back, you may turn out to be a pillar of salt. But God is calling us to step out and be the change we want to be in society. The third step, we have already seen the first step, confession of our sins. The second step we've seen is to avoid environments that trigger immolarity or sin. The third aspect we need to put in practice is actually to live in accountability. To live in accountability. When you read Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The Amplified Bible says, iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friends to show rage or worthy purpose. In other words, you were some total of the people you walk around with. You look exactly like your friends. And if you are not in accountability, especially with people that are challenging you to live a certain status quo and focus on the Lord and to walk right, friends, you'll end up being prey to the evil one. The question I have for you is, whom are you accountable to? We all know that first we are accountable to God, but remember we are still flesh and blood. Do you have a sister? Do you have a brother in the Lord? Whom is not probably struggling with the same thing you're struggling with, so that you don't just comfort yourself into sinning, but is challenging you to live that weird relationship, that is challenging you to live that alcoholism, that is challenging you to live that immolarity, to live that perverse walk, to walk right. Accountability. Remember, Scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes that two are better than one. That's not just a principle in marriage, as some people have already uh, inclined that Scripture to only marriage. No, but also accountability in Christianity, day-to-day living and a practical Christian living, is very critical for us to keep accountable to each other. Are you a loner? The day the devil will come for you and you make an alarm, there, there won't be anyone to come to your rescue. Will you purpose to look out for one, two, or three brothers or sisters to walk with this journey of Christianity? Don't isolate, because when you do, when you are under attack, you won't have security. The fourth practical thing is even as we come to close, is we need to live in obedience to God's word. Live in obedience to God's word. But you can't obey what you do not know. So we need to first read scripture, and even reading scripture, we need to read the entire counsel of God's word. We do not say, ah, me, I only read the New Testament. This Old Testament no longer speak to me. No. It is the whole counsel of God. When you read Acts, I think chapter 20, Paul refers to scripture as the whole counsel of God. So friends, when we say God is word, we are meaning from Genesis up to Revelation, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. But after reading it, we actually study 
we go deeper. We ask the wise, the house, you know, of what was written. And we ask not to doubt, but we ask to believe. Praise the Lord. And after studying, we actually start living or obeying because you have read, you have studied, you start obeying. And on top of that, you continue even memorizing. You put it in your head because you can't believe what you do not yet know. So you need to first feed your mind with what is true, which is God's word, and then your heart gets captivated of that truth, and out of that conviction, your feet and your hands start living that truth. Psalm 100 verse 19 gives us that truth. Verse, Psalm 119 verse 11, it's a known scripture to all of us. Scripture says, your word have I laid up in my heart that I may not sin against you. Friends, when you put God's word in your heart, amid this temptation, amid this someone luring you into sin, you'll hear that still, small voice in your right ear saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Do not take that path. Take this path. Friends, on a daily moment, God does not just stop us like how we parents tell children, don't do this. Stop doing this. Not really. God does that true. Don't do this. But then he gives the right alternative. Don't do this. Rather, do this. And friends, you can't hear that voice if you don't know God's word. The fifth thing, practical thing we need to do is that we need to know our weaknesses. We need to know our weaknesses. I've been meditating on the story of Samson recently because he's inspiring. He was strong, but there is something that burdened my heart when I read Judges chapter 16. I noticed that However much Samson was very strong that he could even lift a city gate and take it up to the hill alone. He could just get a jawbone and kill thousands of men. Friends, Samson, when he was put at the laps, at the knees of Delilah, he became so weak. He did not know his weakness. In other words, he didn't have what I may call sexual breaks. He could not say no. However much God had called him, he had anointed him, he did not have breaks. He did not realize that however much he could tear just a lion with his bare hands, he could not master his sexual perversion. Judges, chapter 16, verse 19. The Bible says, Judges chapter 16, verse 19, it says, and she made, this is Delilah, and she made Samson sleep upon her knees, and she called a man and caused him to shave off the seven braids of his head. Then she began to torment Samson, and his strength went from him. Scripture there says, other versions say, she soothed him into sleep. 
Friends, I'm here to remind you, if you very well know your weakness, do not be allowed to be soothed. Because the moment you'll wake up, you'll not have your strength. Because we see in verse 20, we see that she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I'll go out as I have time after time and shake myself free. For Samson did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Friends, never think that you are so strong to fall. We are all candidates of failure, including myself. So we need to know our weaknesses so that we can flee strategically. Scripture tells us to flee from all immolarity. Not to linger, but to flee. And finally, friends, before we pray, is that we need to watch out for the windows of our lives. Our bodies have windows, and I'll explain them. The first window is our eyes, what we use our eyes to see. That's why Job said that I made a covenant with the Lord that I shall not look at a woman lustfully. Friends, eyes are windows. What do you see? What do you consume on with your eyes? Let me hope it's God's word. But if it isn't, whatever you look at and consume, it may lure you into sin. But the other thing, window may be a nose. What do you use your nose to do in our generation, especially probably in the, our youthful generation? We young people use various things with our noses. Sniffing, drugs. God forbid. I pray that you will not sniff drugs to use your nose for something. God never purposed you to sniff. But you also have windows of our ears. What do we listen to? If you listen to perversity, you'll end up being perverse because our lives are like computers. Garbage in, garbage out. Are you listening to doubt? Are you listening to things that are demoralizing you, you'll end up living the same. But let's talk about our hands. What do we use our hands for as windows to our lives? What do we touch? Are we using our hands to steal? Are we using our hands into sexual immorality? May God help us. Talk about our mouth, our lips, our tongues. What do we speak? Why do we speak what we speak? How do we speak? What do we speak? Scripture commands us that let not any unworthy word come out of our lips, but something that is glorifying to the Lord. But let's go deeper. The other window to our lives is actually our private parts. We are in a generation that is getting more loose sexually, Things like abstinence until marriage are no longer popular. People looking for experience before they commit. May God help us. But also, we are under attack with homosexuality, with lesbianism. What are you using your private parts for? Let me hope that you are keeping pure until marriage. 
But also, if the Lord has called you to chastity, not to marry, I hope you are keeping pure until the Lord calls you home. Are you? I am taking deliberate efforts. Yes, I am married, but it's a journey. I continue to keep pure. Because being married does not mean to get or to indulge in all kinds of immorality. No, it's actually a higher commitment to purity. First to God, to myself, but also to my partner. Let me hope that you're not already contemplating to be lowered off by homosexuality and lesbianism. Will you take a stand to say no to this strange thing? We have already taken a stand as Church of Uganda to say no to this immorality. But it begins with personal decision. As for me and my house, we have already said no. Will you say no also? As a body of Christ, shall we have a uniform decision to say no regardless of the price? Praise the living God. But finally, there is a window of our feet. Where do we go to? Today, in Sunday, you are church. On weekend, you were in a bar. You were on streets looking for prostitutes. You were indulging in witchcraft, going to strange places to seek for other powers. May God deliver us. <coughs> Praise the Lord. And I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 to 20. You can read it in your free time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 to verse 20. Scripture tells us, to commit our members to the Lord, not to commit our members, all what I've talked about, our eyes, our nose, our ears, our hands, our mouth, our private parts, our feet, all our bodies to immolarity. Why? Because it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You can't get God's temple and you take it into immolarity or allow immolarity to come into it. Praise the living God. You may be there wondering, Douglas, the way you are speaking is as though for you, you have already conquered. No, my friends, it's a deliberate effort I'm taking. When I noticed at a certain stage of my life that uh, social media had become a trap for me, I deliberately uninstalled some applications. And I said, I remain on those that are helping me to communicate what I'm supposed to communicate. Because I was noticing when I post a joke, you receive many likes. But when you post a scripture, you get just one like, probably even from you, yourself, to encourage yourself. And I made a decision to say no. Instead of transacting my soul for just mere likes, i rather live and I focus on the Lord. At least I'll preach to the people face to face. But even on other platforms where there is probably less or no immolarity but also making a decision to commit to one woman until death do us part. Making a decision, deliberate decision, walking in accountability. At least in my life, I have two men that can call me and say, Douglas, what are you doing? Or what have you been contemplating to do? And they sit me down and they ask me tough questions. Praise the Lord. So it's a journey I am taking to it is possible, also a reminder, it is hard, but it is doable. It is hard in our day-to-day -day, uh, physical strength, but it is 
doable friends, to continue being dead to sin, to consider that what Jesus did at the cross, he died once and for all, but there is our part to do to continue walking in the truth. In the remaining minutes, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to listen to your word. Lord, we come before you, O Lord, to take a pause and think about our lives. Friends, I'll request you in just a minute to come before the Lord in repentance. Maybe you have not been walking right. We have learned about confession, that you agree with God, that what you have done is sin. Then you bring it to the Lord. You agree that whatever that was paid at the cross, it covered all your sin. And then you need to make deliberate efforts to turn away from that sin. Just come before the Lord, friends, and confess and repent before the Lord. It's a personal time. Just, just repent. Just repent before the Lord. He's faithful when we come before him, and he's just forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity that you've given us to come in your presence. I pray, my God and my Father, that uh, you will help us on this journey as men, as women, as young people, as even the old, Lord, on this journey of sojourning in purity, in righteousness with you, as we continue dying to self and being alive to you, my God and my Father. So we thank you. I pray that we shall live in accountability, that we shall live in obedience to your word, that we shall, Lord, know our weaknesses and deliberately make efforts to flee from all manner of immolarity, that we shall live a repentant life, moment by moment. We thank you. We magnify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Our time is first spent. Allow me to do this at once and for all. Please get your offertory, especially those that uh, uh, are online. I don't know whether you thank you very much, Akinoko team. Uh, those are giving options. Please give your offertory there and you allow me to pray over it by faith so that we close in time once and for all. You can be giving as I pray. Lord, we thank you for your giving of your people. I pray, my God and my Father, that you shall bless the works of their hands even as they are serving you at the city gates, that you shall make them the heads and on the tails, that you shall bless them, Lord, in the village and in the city, in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, you will help them to overcome every stronghold, every limitation in their finances and prosperity. We thank you. We magnify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and may God bless you abundantly.